Last uh, Sunday morning, we began uh, a new series of sermons together uh, from uh, the book of Psalms. And if you wouldn't mind advancing the slide, because I forgot to bring the, the clicker up here. Simply calling this Summer in the Psalms. And last week, in, in kind of a, an introductory kind of way, we, we talked a little bit about uh, the Psalms being Israel's ancient hymnal and talked a little bit about the significance of the Psalms in the New Testament and talked about the significance in the Psalms, not, not only in ancient Israel, but how they should be very significant in our lives uh, today. And I, I think I'm, I mentioned, I, I always enjoy when we, we sing the Psalms. You know, a number of our uh, musicians and composers have, have literally taken uh, the Psalms and have, have put them into melody and into music so that we can sing those songs today. Uh, like Psalm 25, Unto Thee, O Lord, or... Uh, Psalm 95, into thy courts of praise. And uh, it's, so it's always significant to me when, when we sing the Psalms. And so this, this summer we're, we're working through a variety of the Psalms, many of, of which you have suggested. And I think I mentioned last week the response was, was so, so good that I'm not going to be able to get through all the Psalms that have been suggested. So... I'm, I've already got a sermon series for next summer. Uh, we'll just continue working through uh, some of these psalms. I, I came across this particular quote uh, this, this past week as I was reflecting upon our psalm for uh, this morning. And it's, it's a quote from uh, a man who is considered to be one of, one of our church fathers, uh, who was Bishop of Alexandria, a man by the name of Athanasius. And Athanasius is, is probably most famous for uh, in, in a letter that he wrote in 367 A.D. listing for the very first time all 20 books in, that, are, that we consider to be canonical uh, in our uh, New Testament. But Athanasius also did a lot of writing and reflecting on the Psalms, and he says this, The Psalms have a unique place in the Bible because most of the Scripture speaks to us while the Psalms speak for us. I think Athanasius would, would agree with one thing we said last week about the Psalms. The Psalms give us language to speak to God. And one of the really neat things about the Psalms, it, it really doesn't matter what we are experiencing in life. Whether it is an occasion of joy, an occasion of sadness or discouragement, or an occasion in which we are coming out of some of those dark, difficult times. There, there is a psalm for literally every circumstance of life. 
And so when we struggle to find language or we wrestle with words to to approach God with, we can go to the Psalms and we can read the Psalms and we can meditate upon the Psalms and we can sing the Psalms and we can pray the Psalms because they give us words that we can use as we approach our Heavenly Father. And our psalm this morning, Psalm 7, I think is is one of those psalms that really gives us language today. Words that we can use to approach God. And it it is a psalm, and and we'll get into this more in, in just a moment, but it is a psalm which I think, again, is, is relevant for us, particularly as we look at our place in culture. When, when we consider where we are as Christians in our society today, and as we find ourselves, it seems, more and more in the minority, as as we are pushed to the margins, as we might say, as as we find ourselves perhaps being ridiculed, maybe being um, even a little persecuted for our convictions, for the beliefs that we have uh, being God's people today, and as, as we encounter what we might call enemies. And, and Psalm 7 uh, provides us with language when we find ourselves in those predicaments to pray to God, to reflect upon, to gain some encouragement and some insight into how we might better live our lives. So turn to Psalm 7. And we're going to spend some time this morning uh, looking at uh, Psalm 7. And if you happen to pick up uh, an outline this morning, when we conclude, I'm going to suggest four uh, points of application from this psalm as we think about our role in society today. And again, as we find ourselves being pushed to the margins of our culture. Well, this psalm, unlike our first psalm that we began this study with last week, Psalm 1, it has a little heading or a little uh, title or an inscription that you might find, uh, at least in my edition uh, of the Old Testament, in italics. And what's interesting about these titles, they are actually verse 1 in the Hebrew Bible, and we find these titles or or these headings in 116 out of the 150 psalms that we have in this collection of psalms. Uh, Most scholars generally agree that uh, they are reliable and they give us a number of Um, information or a lot of additional information as to what is going on with the particular psalm. In fact, we can find one of five different types of information. Uh, 
The inscription might identify the psalm with a particular person or even a group of people. Uh, the psalm might put, or the inscription might put the psalm in a particular historical context. Some of the headings give musical information. Some contain liturgical instructions or how Israel was to conduct themselves on the way to worship. And uh, some of the titles simply designate uh, the type of psalm. In our psalm this morning, Psalm 7, it simply reads a shagigion of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush of Benjamite. Now, what is, what is kind of interesting about this title is, number one, we don't know what this Hebrew word exactly means. The root uh, suggests some kind of emotional uh, excess, uh, Robert Alter, in his translation, suggests something like uh, a rhapsody. Uh, John Goldingay, in his translation, suggests the word lament. And so perhaps this word is, is suggesting that, and it identifies David as the uh, author, that David is in some kind of predicament. And we'll see that when we read through the psalm in just a moment. So it's a very emotional time for uh, David. Also, there's no biblical reference to Cush the Benjamite. And so we really don't know who this individual uh, was. As a Benjamite, Cush would have been a tribal kinsman of King Saul. And so some scholars uh, recognizing uh, that uh, suggest that Cush might have been one of Saul, uh, Saul's men that was pursuing David. We read about some of those stories in 1 Samuel 22 through uh, 26. Uh, we know that um, Saul became very jealous of his servant uh, David and it even, even begins to realize that David would one day occupy his own throne and so David becomes uh, an enemy of Saul. Uh, regardless, the psalm is this prayer of deliverance from David to God and it's also a plea for vindication. And, and so again, this psalm uh, gives us words or provides us with a way to approach God when we're being pursued by an enemy and when we, we maintain our own innocence before our culture or before our society. So let's work through uh, this psalm, and I've divided the psalm into uh, five sections. Uh, Greg brought to us by the letter A, by the way, this morning. So in verses 1 and 2, we have uh, David as he begins the psalm with an affirmation of faithfulness. Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me, or they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. The verb translated to take refuge uh, meant to seek shelter of some sort. It's used in con uh, contexts like seeking shelter from inclement weather. 
other contexts in, in, in which we find it here. It's used in the sense of seeking a place of protection from an enemy. And so as, as a metaphor, this particular idea of seeking refuge would belong to the vocabulary which emphasizes trust. And in fact, I find it interesting that the King James Version actually reads, O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. And so David understands that without God's protection, there is no hope for escape. So this affirmation of faithfulness to God as the psalm begins. Verses 3 through 5 we then have this avowal of innocence where uh, David makes the case that he is innocent, that he is not guilty. Lord my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil or without cause, have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. David turns to God because he has been falsely accused. He claims his innocence. Now, this is, this is not a claim to sinlessness. This is not a claim uh, to perfection, but a denial of this particular accusation. And David seems to suggest in these verses that he's been accused of three things, uh, the guilt of his hands. And the idea there is that he has simply been mean to his enemy, or that he has repaid his ally with evil, that he has betrayed a relationship Somehow, Again, reflect for just a moment on historically on the relationship between Saul and David. Saul initially accepts David as a servant, even gives him his daughter Michael in marriage. And David becomes Saul's greatest soldier, his greatest warrior. But as God blessed David... And he won more and more battles, Saul becomes jealous. And, and so David again is, is thinking, listen, I, it, I think we could, could certainly suggest he, he has Saul in mind. Listen, if I have mistreated or done an injustice to, to Saul, then um, punish me, Lord. He goes on to say, if he's taken advantage of his enemy. And so the climax of this claim in verse 5 of David's faithfulness is this prayer against himself. He will submit to any punishment that a righteous judge would impose against whoever is guilty. And that's, that's a pretty powerful statement as he maintains his innocence uh, before God and before his enemy. And so then in verses 6 through 9, there is an appeal to God for action. Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. 
Awake, my God, decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather around you while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according uh, to my integrity, O Most High. Bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God, who probes minds and hearts. Uh, David calls on God to assume his role of righteous judge. And kind of depending on how you want to count the, the, the verbs, uh, I mean, I mean D D David prays, again, God to, to take some action. Arise, awake, decree, judge, vindicate. You know, provide for David this, this secure, solid, unshakable foundation of perfection. And then in verse 10, as he continues to work his way through uh, this psalm, there is an assertion of confidence. Uh, look at verses 10 through 16. My shield is God most high, who saves the upright in heart, God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready his flaming arrows. Whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they call, they cause recoils on them. Their violence come down on their own heads. Uh, three reasons why David can uh, assert his confidence in God. Verse 10, God saves the upright. Verses 11 through 13, God himself is Righteous, And then verses 14 through 16, God turns the plans of the wicked upon themselves. And so based upon who God is and what God does on behalf of his people, David can assert his confidence in God. And so in verse 17, the psalm uh, concludes with an applause of thanksgiving. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. And so, looking at this particular psalm, I would argue that the primary message of Psalm 7 is that the people of God may pray with confidence to the Lord for vindication. In, in those times when, when we are pushed to the margins, dur during those times in society, we are ridiculed or uh, misunderstood or perhaps even blamed. In our own innocence, we can cry out to God just as David did for vindication. And the basis of this theme, the basis of this message as I have titled this lesson, is the righteousness of God. You see that emphasized in verse 9, verse 11, and verse 17. 
And this, this idea, this, this theme of the righteousness of God is such an important theme all through the Old Testament. It's, it's very interesting to, to look at what this little phrase means. And, and when you look contextually at all the times in the Old Testament that the righteousness of God appears, you can see at least three things. Uh, the word itself, uh, by definition, means something that is straight. And so it suggests the notion of order. It's used in some context of uh, a businessman who has scales, and the scales are equally and honestly calibrated. Right? Uh, the person is an honest or righteous man, businessman, because his, his scales are calibrated. They're, they're honest. And of course, we know that it is God who provides this proper order. So then, then it moves to conformity to a norm or standard. And God, in His holiness, perfect in every way, becomes that norm or standard through which we seek to live. But a number, number of word studies also emphasize uh, what, what, what is sometimes a neglected understanding of this particular word in that, in that it also implies a faithfulness to a relationship. And so this, this idea of, of loyalty in a relationship. And again, you see that in God. God is loyal to his people. That is why David can cry out to him for protection and vindication. And, and so when we, we think about the righteousness of God, God is the standard, he provides the order, and he is loyal to his people. And so we respond accordingly. Um, looking to God as our standard, understanding the relationship that we have with him. And of course, when we come to the New Testament, uh, we understand that our righteousness with God, our uh, relationship with God, comes through Jesus. And as we emphasized before, the importance of being in Christ. Uh, the righteousness of God, a very dominant theme in the writings of the Apostle Paul. And there were, I really struggled this morning with, with one verse uh, to go to uh, that makes this point. And I finally chose 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus becomes the standard. Jesus becomes the norm. It is through Him we have this relationship with God. It is the example of Jesus that we seek to pattern our own life after. So this idea of, of the righteousness of God being, being the foundation of how we conduct our lives, and especially as we respond to persecution and ridicule. So what is the application for us? We find it in uh, verse uh, 9 when uh, he emphasizes 
the righteous God who probes minds and hearts. And I think there you see an emphasis upon this relationship that we are to have with God. So the application for us, as David says in the psalm, is to, do, is to be people of integrity. I, I appreciate it so much, Joel's well thought through prayer this morning. And uh, Joel, we're going to actually go to 1 Peter here in, in just, just a few uh, minutes. But Joel mentioned integrity in his prayer. And, and so as, as God's people today, the importance of being people of integrity. So let's, let's uh, suggest four uh, ways um, as to how we might walk in integrity uh, today. Number one, as God's people, we are to maintain a distinct lifestyle. We, we, we sometimes use the word different. And, and that's, that's okay, but when, when I was a kid growing up, somebody that was different was just weird. And, and we're not supposed to be weird. I, I like distinct. There is something different, but it is distinct. It makes an impression upon people. And it makes a positive impression. And, and if we are uh, people of integrity, our lives, they, they will be different. And they're going to be distinct. Which, which brings us to, to, the, to the second thing. We can expect some suspicion and even discrimination because of this distinction. When we are distinct, when we, are, when we respond differently to life circumstances, th there will be misunderstanding. But people aren't always going to comprehend our convictions. But we don't compromise. We maintain that distinction in this world. We don't, number three, we, we don't uh, isolate ourselves. Rather, we infiltrate. We don't escape we actually engage this world. And, and again, it's, it's, that, it's that challenge of being in the world, but not of the world. And, and so we, we, look, we look at the world. And, and we face, you know, we're not exempt as, as Christians. God, God, when we become a Christian, God doesn't put, uh, put us in a bubble we're not in a, in a vacuum. You know, we're subject to the same struggles of life and circumstances of life uh, that, that everyone faces. I mean, even, even Christians have to stand in line at Walmart. And, but, but it's how we respond when we're standing in line at Walmart that makes us distinct. Or at least it, it should make us distinct. So, so again, we, we don't retreat. You know, we don't isolate ourselves. We, we engage with culture. Which, which brings us to the, to the fourth point. Now we're going to 1 Peter. But I think we need to just ramp up, ramp up good deeds. And I, I, I don't know any other way to, to define a good deed other than it, it's, it's good. I mean, you, you can't argue with good. Well, I mean, I guess you can. But 
You're not going to get very far, at least with me. I mean, just do good. And, and so I, I think one thing, we need to develop a, a theology of goodness, whatever that means. And, and we can be distinct, and in, in that distinction, we'll, we'll be a little, a little different, yeah, okay? But again, not in a weird way, because we're doing good. And you see that, especially in 1 Peter. And I'm going to begin with the, same, the very same verses that Joel read to us a moment ago. I, I didn't know Joel was going to read those verses, and he didn't know I was going to read uh, these verses. Uh, it's funny how the Spirit works, you know, when, when, we, when you're on the same uh, page. But look at, look, listen again to chapter 2, 1 Peter, verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among, not retreating, not isolating, not escaping, but among the pagans that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And uh, Joel mentioned our, our Bible study Thursday night and uh, some, some eager, uh, English translations, that last little phrase, translate as on the day of visitation. And many capitalize V, an obvious reference to the great day of judgment. However, I, I tend to think that any time we do a good deed among pagans, they are being visited by God. And, and it's a way God uses us to make an impact on the lives of those people. And, I mean, we're so good, God receives the glory. But, th but that's not the only time. Peter emphasizes being good. Jump, jump down. Well, let me just keep uh, re uh, reading. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good... You should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil like as God's slaves. Show proper, uh, or live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Again, uh, verse 15. Doing good. Doing good. Jump down to verse 19. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are uh, conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating? This is in the context of uh, a Christian slave with an unchristian master. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it? This is commendable before God. And so what is true of slaves would be true for all of us as uh, Christians. Jump over to chapter 3. Um, I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? 
But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, worship Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. One more. And, and this, is, this is only a few of several. I'm not reading them all from 1 Peter. Look at chapter 4, verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should, could, should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. I, I get the impression in reading Peter that he really believes that we can make a difference simply by doing good. And, and if there's, there's something our culture needs, it, isn't it just some goodness? Can I get an amen on that? And, and I mean, and as, as God's people being the ones who, who are known for doing good, I mean, we, we can be known for a lot of things. And, and a lot of things are good. Being people of the Bible and, and being people who um, take seriously their, their Christian faith and, and all sorts of things. But, but how about that one? Being known as a people who simply do good through benevolence and through serving this community and visiting the sick and reaching out to the lonely and providing, providing a place where everyone is welcome. Again, remembering that Peter's convinced at least he's convinced me, and I think we need to be convinced as well, that we can make a difference simply by doing good. So, here's your homework for the week. Do something good. Just go out and commit, as they say, a random act of kindness, and let me know about it. Let me know about it. And we'll, we'll, share, we'll start sharing those through the summer. So, so just, just do some good, what, whatever, whatever it might be. Be as creative as, as, as you can be. I, I mentioned you know, a couple of weeks ago, I took a week off, audited a class uh, up in uh, Chicago, and Greg Boyd, who was the teacher, he, he challenged the students one day to, to look at people differently. To, to, to not prejudge, but to simply look at everybody only through the eyes of God. That this person is created in God's image. And, and, and pray, pray that you might encounter someone that you typically maybe would just completely miss. The next morning, I'm walking out of Starbucks. And when, when I entered, there was no one sitting on the corner. 
And, and when I left Starbucks, there is a gentleman, obviously homeless. And I, I nearly drove right by, and I thought, oh, goodness, Greg Boyd. I can't, I can't just drive by, you know? And, and so I, I rolled down my window, and I had a little cash, and I said, would this be helpful to you today? And he said, yes, it would. And I, I said, in the name of Greg Boyd, I, no, I didn't, I didn't say that. I said, I'm a, I'm a Christian, and in the name of Jesus, I, I give you this, and, and I, I hope it helps today. And, and his, it was just a simple thank you, and it had been raining for a couple of days in that area, and he said, I just hope it's dry today, so I can, or it doesn't rain, so I can stay dry. Just, do, just doing good. I, 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 don't, I don't know what he did with that money. I, I don't know. But, but my only responsibility was simply to do good. So our, our, our assignment, our assignment, I said this week, the rest of your life, just do good. And, and as you have those things happen, share. And we'll, we'll start sharing some of those stories. I, I mean, and, and just step back and see what God does with goodness. Wayne's going to lead us in another song. As we stand and, and sing this song, let's reflect upon what it means to, to, to do good. Let's reflect upon the righteousness of God and being people of integrity.